On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went <clears throat> to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Join me in prayer. Father, as we look at this passage, we ask you to speak to each of us from your word. We ask that you teach us and that your spirit will give us understanding. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where there was an emergency and someone you didn't know needed help? I still remember an incident in my life, much detail, years ago, right? It was before we had children, so that gives you an idea of how long ago that was. My in-laws, Susan's parents, were visiting us, and we were going out to eat at a restaurant. And as we walked across the parking lot, we came upon three men. One was lying on the ground, and the other two, his friends, were trying to help him. The man wasn't breathing, had no pulse. He was having a heart attack. My father-in-law, doctor, and I began CPR and continued until the fire department arrived, and then we helped the paramedics until they transported the man to the hospital. We never learned, but I'm pretty sure he didn't make it. We went on into the restaurant, but I can tell you, I did not feel much like a good dinner. We didn't know the man. We were on our way to have a nice meal, but we stopped and were delayed as we helped the man and his friends who didn't know what to do. It was just the right thing for us to do. And this morning we are continuing our series from the book of Luke called The King Has Come. Our text today 
is known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we are looking at how Jesus describes a man who went out of his way to help a stranger. We will see that this parable addresses how we enter God's kingdom and some aspects of living in the kingdom. This may be one of the best known parables of Jesus. As examples of how well it may known, there are at least 20 hospitals around the country that are named Good Samaritan Hospital. You may be familiar with the ministry called Samaritan's Purse. Many states have passed laws, Good Samaritan laws, which provide legal protection for, from lawsuits for those who help a person in distress. And helpful people are sometimes called Good Samaritans. Many people refer to someone as a Good Samaritan, and I would guess there are quite a few of them who use that term Good Samaritan without knowing the background and where that term comes from. This parable may also be misinterpreted more than many others. There have been a variety of allegorical interpretations. One is that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. He heals us, he binds our wounds, he comforts us. And these things are certainly true, but those allegories break down because when Jesus comes to us, we are dead, not half dead and dying. The parable is also often used as a, a text for a message that we need to help others. It's been used directly from an ethics standpoint. We just need to help others in need. We need to help those who are hurting. Sometimes it's used because we need to help others of different races, different cultural backgrounds, different religions. All of these, of course, are good, but if we focus on these things, we miss the key point that Jesus makes in this parable. Jesus gives this parable in response to two questions from an expert in Jewish law. First, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Second, who is my neighbor? We're going to look at the parable and the answer to the lawyer's question, what must you do to inherit eternal life? First, we'll consider the characters in our text so we understand the parable. Second, we'll look at the questions and the responses that Jesus gives. And finally, we will have the answer to our question, what must we do to inherit eternal life? So first, let's look at the characters. We have Jesus responding to the lawyer and telling the parable. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. He came to save his people from their sins. He is the king who has come, and he is the one telling the story, the narrator. Then we have the lawyer who asks the two questions. He is an expert in Jewish law, we're told. He might be one of the scribes that Jesus often refers to. He is 
clearly familiar with the Jewish law, as we shall see. And then we have the characters in the parable. We have all the characters for a short one-act play. We have a victim. We have villains. We have bystanders who don't want to get involved. And we have the hero. Jesus doesn't tell us much about the man, but says he is going down to Jericho. This was, and, and still is, a mountainous road. So if you can imagine being up at Brighton and walking down the canyon to the mouth of the canyon, that's about the same distance and the same change in elevation. And no, Jerusalem is not as high as Brighton, but Jericho is about 800 feet below sea level. So that might help you get a picture of the path this man is described as taking. And although Jesus doesn't really give any other description about the man, the lawyer would have assumed him to be a Jew traveling on this road. So the traveler is overtaken by robbers or thieves. And they aren't really described much beyond their actions. They robbed the man, stripped off his clothes, beat him, and left him on the side of the road to die. Their actions indicate they were brutal. The terrain along this road was conducive to ambushes. The road, in fact, had earned the name the Way of Blood. The lawyer would have understood the nature of the robbery and the attack. The first person to come upon the wounded traveler is a priest. Priests were descendants of Aaron, as we read in the Old Testament. Their duty was to serve in the temple. They were to offer the sacrifices. They were to maintain the incense burning in the temple. Why would the priest be traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when the temple was in Jerusalem? Well, at the time, there were many priests. In Luke chapter 1, we learned that Zechariah, a priest was serving in the temple when his turn had been chosen by Lot. And historians tell us actually that there were enough priests that they might have the responsibility to serve in the temple only once or twice in their lifetime. As a result, priests did not need to be in Jerusalem on a daily basis, and many priests did live in Jericho. So it would not have been unusual for a priest to travel down this road. The priest stays away from the injured man. He avoids the man, doesn't want to be involved. Jesus doesn't tell us why, but we can assume some things. We know that priests were set aside to serve God in the temple and to serve the people. They would be considered holy among the, the Jewish people. They also would become unclean if they came in contact with a dead body. Jesus doesn't really give us the reason, but the priest certainly has excuses that he uses to avoid helping that man in distress. The second person coming by is a Levite. Levites were other descendants of the tribe of Levi. So the, the priests were descendants of Aaron, the other Levites descendants of that tribe, but not descendants of Aaron. They were assigned other duties. They had duties in the tabernacle initially, and then duties in the temple. The text implies that the Levite 
looked at the man, and then turned away and avoided him and passed by on the other side. Maybe he was a curiosity seeker, just like so many bystanders today want to see what's happening if there's a car wreck, a fire, some other incident. They're happy to look, but they don't want to get involved. Again, this is someone who would be considered God's servant and might be expected to help, but does not want to get involved. The third person that Jesus describes is a Samaritan. You may recall from a couple of weeks ago that Samaritans and Jews had little regard for one another. The Samaritans had developed their own place of worship, their own religious practices. During the Assyrian captivity, the Assyrians had taken many of the Jews away from Samaria and replaced them with non-Jewish people. Over time, the Jews in Samaria intermarried with non-Jews, and the Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be half-breeds. In the Gospel of John, the Samaritan woman at the well was surprised that Jesus, a Jew, would talk to her. When Jesus passed through Samaria, as we learned just recently in Luke chapter 9, as he was traveling to Jerusalem, he was opposed by the Samaritans. And he had to rebuke James and John for wanting to bring down fire on the Samaritan village. Some historians say that Jews would not help a Samaritan get out of a ditch if he'd fallen in. And there were even apparently some Jews who said, you ought to throw the Samaritan in the ditch. But the Samaritans had a very similar attitude toward the Jews. There was no love lost between the Samaritans and the Jews. Yet Jesus presents the Samaritan as the one who cares for the victim. He treated his wounds. He takes him to an inn. He takes care of him at the inn. And then he provides for his care when he leaves. This likely delayed his travel as he stayed at the inn and then left the next day. Isn't it interesting that so many things today reference the good Samaritan from a proverb and not the real Samaritans? So having looked at the parable, now let's look at the the questions that prompted the parable. So we'll look at the lawyer's questions and the responses that Jesus gives. The lawyer asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response is to ask, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Now remember, the lawyer is an expert in Jewish law. He asks this question to test Jesus, not out of genuine interest. Jesus doesn't answer him directly, but throws a question back at the lawyer. The lawyer quotes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Jesus himself used the same expression in Matthew when he answered the question of what is the greatest commandment. Jesus tells the lawyer he has answered correctly and says, do this and you will live. 
Jesus' answer seems to be different from what Peter and Paul answer to similar questions. Peter in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost says, repent and be baptized. In Acts, Paul and Silas are in prison. The doors of the prison are opened. Everyone was freed from their bonds. The Philippian jailer, fearing that all his prisoners had escaped, was about to kill himself. Paul stops him. The jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? Paul answers, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So why is there a difference between what Jesus answers and the responses given by Peter and Paul? We see the reason as we look at the next question from the lawyer. The lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? His first question was testing Jesus. And now we see he is seeking to justify himself. One commentator said what the, the lawyer really meant was, how can I spot others who are God's people so I can love them? Jesus then tells the story that we've looked at in the, the parable, and he answers both questions. First, we'll look at, at his answer to the second question. Who is the neighbor? His response shows that we are to be neighbors to anyone in need. He rephrases the question, though, from who is my neighbor to who was the neighbor to the man in need. The parable illustrates that the Samaritan went out of his way to be a good neighbor. We've looked at that. He cared for the man, took him to the inn. He stayed at the inn, left the next day. Maybe the parable could better be called the parable of the good neighbor. The lawyer understood this. He answered that the Samaritan was the neighbor. But notice how he could not name the Samaritan. Even a fictional character described as a Samaritan. The best he could say was the one who had mercy. The primary question, though, is what must he do to inherit eternal life. Jesus asked the lawyer what is written in the law. The lawyer gave a correct response. We know, however, that the law goes beyond just the basic statements given in the Ten Commandments. Jesus himself expanded on the Ten Commandments in his Sermon on the Mount. The keeping of the law is a matter of the heart, not outward actions. In our Westminster Shorter Catechism, we learn that the Sixth Commandment, which is you shall not murder, requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. All lawful endeavors to preserve the life of others. I think we can easily grasp that we should preserve our own lives and we're not to take the life of others, but we are also to do all we can to preserve the lives of others. And the lawyer, as an expert in the law, would have known this and had to know that he could not perfectly keep the law. The lawyer asked the question to test Jesus and then to justify himself. Jesus did not fall for the trap being set by the lawyer. 
but turns it around to test the lawyer. Jesus tells him to go and do likewise. The lawyer probably was insulted by this. He is an expert in the law, but he's being told to follow the law like a despised Samaritan. Samaritans who had developed their own interpretations of the law. And I think that is probably why Jesus chose to illustrate this parable with a Samaritan, because he knew he was going right back against what the lawyer was trying to do. And we aren't told how the, the lawyer reacts, but I think that may well be because after this, he left. His test of Jesus and his attempt at self-justification had failed. But then where does that leave us? What must we do to inherit eternal life? And this is our, our third point. What must we do to inherit eternal life? Must we go and do like the Samaritan, as Jesus told the lawyer? The answer is no and yes. Do you, like the lawyer, seek to justify yourself? Are you seeking to live your life by keeping God's law? Are you working to please God by following the Ten Commandments or other rules established by some religion? Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And in Romans 3, Paul wrote, For by works of the law, No human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We do not inherit eternal life by what we do, but by grace through faith alone. In Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 8, we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So listen again to the answers given by Peter and Paul. On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, The people were cut to the heart. And then Peter said, repent and be baptized. That is the response to the change in the heart accomplished by the Holy Spirit. 
And Paul told the jailer to believe in the Lord Jesus, a response that would be a change in his heart. But then having been saved by grace, then we do like the Samaritan, showing mercy. As Micah uh, chapter 6, verse 8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? It is only when our hearts are changed that we can truly love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, and then our neighbor as ourselves. This parable is about the law and the gospel with a statement of Christian ethics showing us how we are to live. We have the answer to our question, what must we do to inherit eternal life? It is to believe in the Lord Jesus. There is nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. But then, having been saved by grace, show mercy to anyone and everyone as the Samaritan did. Be the good neighbor. So let us pray. Father, continue to speak to us this week through your word. Keep us from being like the lawyer and trying to justify ourselves. We pray that we may trust in you with a simple childlike faith, looking to you as the author and finisher of our faith. We pray that we will be the good neighbor to everyone we meet, and may we all be a blessing in your sight as we seek to serve your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.